Hello and welcome back to Brooklyn Boatworks Student Boatcast. We have an email, I'm not sure if everyone knows this, but it's bkbwboatcast at gmail.com if you have any episode suggestions, reflections, etc. It's 2021, Lunar New Year's is just around the corner. We thought it would be a good time to reflect on what exactly happened last year. So we've brought in our executive director and program manager for a special 2020 reflections episode. Marjorie and Laura will go through their relationship with the organization and how the organization managed to change along with the changing world. Hope you enjoy. I'm Marjorie Shulman, and I am the executive director of Brooklyn Boatworks. Uh, my name is Laura Botel. I'm the program manager with Brooklyn Boatworks. As everyone knows, I am Shifa Qureshi. I am a Boatworks instructor as well as a coordinator for this podcast. Marjorie, what was it that drew you towards Boatworks um, in the first place? And what was it like when you began? Um, it was a different world. I came on board in October of 2014. My whole career since before I graduated from college was in the nonprofit world. I had been working with adults at various stages in their lives. And the idea of working with young people uh, really intrigued me. Some of my favorite people in the world are, are young people. You know, when I first started, there was one desk and that was Boatworks. I was the only full-time staff member. I shared that desk with a part-time program coordinator. We were sitting a foot from both of the founders and their staff. And then there were two other organizations in that same office. There was no workshop space, but there was the build guide that the founders had created. The idea of taking a startup organization and growing it into an organization that reflected uh, the things that I wanted to see in the world with other people um, was also really intriguing to me. Laura, tell us about your first few years. Yeah, so I joined Brooklyn Boatworks as a part-time instructor, and I was working nearly full-time at another job doing something completely different. Um, I found the organization after I had volunteered with another nonprofit in Queens where I was teaching a group of women build skills so that we as a group could build a tiny house. And when that project finished, I was I like I was hooked. I'm like, I I love teaching. I love making things. Uh, how can I do more of this? I found Boatworks and I worked one day a week, teaching one class a week through the fall. Yeah, that was an amazing experience. I, in the following winter, or I guess the winter of the same year, I was asked if I was interested in teaching more classes. Um, and obviously the answer was yes. And I ended up leaving my other job uh, to teach more classes with Boatworks. I worked with, I think, maybe 48 students that first year. Uh, and after that first year was over, uh, I got a taste of what summer programming looked like and decided to, to accept an offer to join the full-time team as a program coordinator. Uh, and, and since then I've played so many different roles within this one role of, of coordinator and then program manager over the past three and a half years. 
just to give some context, you know, when I first began, we were in five schools. And so we were serving 60 students. Now we're serving over 300 students a year. Um, and, and our budget was $85,000 at the time. And now it's almost $600,000. So Laura has played a huge role in all of these things. Thanks for the shout out, Marjorie. I'll pass the shout out along the team to our part-time staff as well. There's no way I would survive this without them. So shout out to you, yeah. Shifa and Rosa and to all our other instructors. Walk us through what a typical pre-pandemic classroom look like. Yeah, so pre-pandemic, oh, it feels so long ago, but also just like yesterday. Um, we would meet with students once per week, generally in after-school hours from October through the end of May and build a boat. It feels so surreal to think about that right now. Students working in close proximity in small groups uh, to accomplish really big things that ultimately leads to them sailing the boat that they've built with their hands in the East River. I just, I love to emphasize that it is a really big boat. This is not a toy. This is kids working with real hardware and wood and woodworking tools. Yeah, I've had to make that clarification several times as well. Students are building a seven and a half foot long wooden sailboat and they're using adult tools like a Japanese pole saw, adult hand tools, I, I would add. Uh, they take four sheets of marine grade plywood learn how to use Japanese handsaw, a block plane, rasps, files, sandpaper, and turn those four sheets of plywood into a seven and a half foot long optimist pram. All of this is done by a group of 12 young people inside a New York City classroom. Like this classroom is, you know, typically used for for English, for science, for math, for whatever it's used for during the day. Uh, and in the afternoon is completely transformed. There's sawdust everywhere. There are students uh, working in small groups, making, meeting the goals that they've set for themselves for the day. Um, and then at the end of the day, they clean it up. We tuck it away, which is maybe perhaps the most impressive thing that a seven and a half foot boat gets tucked away in a New York City classroom. Uh, and then the classroom goes back to being what it usually is for the majority of the week. It's pretty intense and amazing to be there through the process, to be there at the beginning, and then at the end when students are sitting in the boat that they've learned to build and, and completed and named and launched. And in the summer, those students, but also other young people from New York, get to learn to sail in those boats. I wonder if you have a best memory or a best pre-pandemic memory, let me specify, at Boatworks. I do, but I think Laura and I might have, might have the same one. But my favorite is what might have been a disastrous launch two years ago. Pouring rain, lots of wind and cold. Oh, yeah, you were there, Shifa. I remember you were leading a buoyancy experiment, I think, right? Under I Pier was. Two. I was. <laughs> we were all there. I specifically remember, um, you know, I 
said something of congratulating all the students who showed up in the rain and to sail their boats. And then I handed it over to Laura and I said, just read all the names. And I was supposed to be a part of that. Laura did that. And I ran over to Jeremy Wormfeld, one of our founders. And I said, I'm really worried with the press here and the elected officials and parents that I'm going to say, all right, now we're going sailing. And that all the kids are going to say, uh-uh, it's raining. It's windy. It's cold. Should I publicly make an announcement that we're going to go sailing because what if there's a, a mutiny and nobody wants to do it and the big the big story of the day is no kid wanted to go sailing on their boats and uh, we decided that it's okay whatever the answer is from the students it's okay and at the end of handing out the certificates and the awards and everything I asked okay who wants to go sailing on the boat they built and every single student raised their hand, jumped up and said, I want to go. And it was, it was this uh, momentous feeling. And then we spent the entire day sailing with the students multiple times. Um, so, you know, there were a couple of students who were not very happy to sit in a wet boat. It was also perseverance of our instructors and sailors and everybody who made it happen um, because it really could have been a, a canceled event. And that is the last launch that we've had because we couldn't have a launch last year. And um, that's my that's my favorite memory. I remember that launch. I've never seen such excitement and perseverance in the face of bad weather. Let's go to the beginning of the pandemic, if you can center yourself there. Can you walk us through the day shutdown went into effect? And what was running through your minds at that time? We actually um, shut down the office before the official school shutdown was in place. I believe the shutdown was called for the following Monday and it was a Thursday. I might be misremembering this, but I all I remember is saying to Laura and the program coordinator after hearing the mayor talk about what we we're dealing with, take your computers and anything else you need and we're gonna work from home starting tomorrow. And I don't know when we're gonna be back. I had plans to go, to take the train to go hiking with a friend that Saturday. And I said, well, we can't do it this weekend and I'll see you in two weeks. Um, so my thought process at the time was, yeah, we'll be home for a couple of weeks and then we'll come back and it'll, you know, we'll, we'll continue. That was a Thursday, Marjorie. It was Thursday, March 12th. It's really sticks out in my mind because we were still going into schools at that point. Our class for that afternoon had been canceled for some other reason, but the next day, Friday the Friday the 13th, I think. That's ominous. We were meant to have class. So so I remember going home on Thursday and that entire week I'd been speaking with instructors about like what what's going to happen is our things going to close, um, the, like the schools will never close. And we were really in the middle of everything. At that part of the year, students are getting ready to put the whole sides on the boat. And so there was a lot of that running through my mind, like, oh, we have a lot left to do. So if schools close for a month, how can we finish things when we come when we come back? That was what was running through my mind initially. I don't think it really fully hit me 
I don't know how how long it took for me to realize how long this was going to last. I guess I still don't know. But at that point, I was like, okay, we're, we can still launch in June. We can still finish building the boats and launch in June. And in the meantime, how can we connect with students? I think schools were closed on March 16th, officially. As soon as that happened, my mindset immediately shifted to, okay, how are we going to stay connected to students while schools are closed? What we knew was we needed and wanted to keep uh, working with students, and we needed and wanted to keep our staff employed. Those were, you know, the two primary goals, I think, at the time, and continue to be. The, the school closure was so sudden. I'm Even though I'm a program manager, I still teach in classrooms, and I had developed relationships with my students. And it was felt very sudden that all of a sudden I didn't, I wasn't going to see them. I don't think I personally felt that emotionally until I, until after spring break came and went and we realized we're not going back to schools after spring break like we had hoped. Boatworks is always valued and had a very hands-on, action-based curriculum. How did that transition into a digital classroom? It wasn't a seamless transition, that's for sure. Uh, We did a lot of trying things out this spring and summer. And so some of the things we tried were we made YouTube videos, uh, walking students through steps of how to do hands-on experiments at home. Uh, we had instructors develop activities for students to do uh, r- remotely, like a, a drop-in type session that involved hands-on pieces. For example, one of the exercises that we do in our classroom is a blind contour drawing uh, as like a warm-up team builder. And so we brought that to the virtual space. We realized that not all students have access to all of the materials for for those things. So I think one of our biggest takeaways as we went into fall programming is that we needed to send a basic kit home to all of our students who were participating in our remote programming. Um, And I think that has helped us remain hands-on. We are using a digital tool called Tinkercad um, in our programs this fall. Students are learning the basics so that they can design their own boat hull that can be 3D printed. So when we were thinking about what to do remotely that would be using a digital tool, it was really thinking about how does this translate to the hands-on programming that we do and that we'll continue to do once it's safe uh, to gather again. Choosing Tinkercad was a great way to connect students to the water or a coastal city with 520 miles of waterfront and also connect them to how they'll be involved with boatworks in the future, building boats, getting on the water, working as a team to figure out problems and to learn new skills. And you mentioned that maintaining a connection with students was something that was very important to you. So how did you go about Um, maintaining some kind of program. With, I think, probably the majority of our classes, we were able to use the same sort of tools like Zoom or Google Meet that the schools were using to continue to meet with students once a week. 
there was no guise of, oh, we're going to meet and do boat building. It was really focusing more on the social emotional needs of students during that time. Um, one of the things that we do in our classroom is a check-in in a circle up every class. And it's an opportunity for everyone to share their voice and their experience of that day. And we continued that virtually. We were really trying to bring levity to everything that was going on. So sharing nautically themed puzzles, we, we sent messages to the students who weren't in the Zoom room via a coded nautical flag drawing um, that we created together. Starting in April, May, I don't remember, we decided to do outreach calls to families with a list of changing resources that were available, you know, housing assistance, food assistance, medical assistance, funeral cost assistance. The instructors made those calls. And through those calls, we learned that students just couldn't wait to talk to the instructors they had worked with. And so from that came Boatcast, Rosa's idea for um, a podcast featuring students, which now features us once. You know, those two things were very different from things that we had done in the past, but needed to happen in order to continue to provide services to our students. Uh, in one class in particular, we were meeting with them every week and we came up with this kind of role-playing game, I guess akin to Dungeons and Dragons, which I've never played that we called The Voyage. We collaborated on a shared Google Doc. Each student created their own character. They defined their character's strengths and weaknesses. They made a backstory for their character and a drawing. And then we came up with this loose storyline of we were going to go on a voyage and all of these characters would play some role on this imagined voyage. And the students chose where we were going to go. We were sailing from the East River in Queens, which is where the school was, down to Mexico. And we picked 10 waypoints. And at each waypoint, something would happen. And students would have to collaborate as their characters to solve a problem. And this was so different than what was going on in people's homes, outside in New York City. And it was such an amazing um, team building experience, but also kind of an, a, an escape from, from everything that was happening. And it was my favorite part of the week. Oh, I was so excited. I had a character as well. I was so excited to, to log on and, and play the voyage. And at one point, I think this was, was shortly after the murder of George Floyd. And there was a specific day where people were signing off social media. We decided, you know, we're going to cancel class today. The students are dealing with a lot. We are dealing with a lot. The world is, is reeling and we're going to cancel class. But we didn't ask the students, which in hindsight seems so silly. And they organized a Zoom meeting <laughs> and invited us to it. And yeah, that was an amazing moment that showed me that what we were doing mattered. Uh, to our students. It was something that was really needed. These ways to kind of be in a different space than the reality of what was happening outside in the world. I'm so glad that you brought up George Floyd and everything else that has been happening in the world um, and happened in the world this past year. Because it wasn't just a school shutdown. It wasn't just a pandemic. There was so 
many protests, there were so many political um, transitions and issues and being at home, it really changed things. So how did you, Marjorie and Laura, deal with those? It really was a l- much more than the pandemic. Families were losing people, they were losing jobs, there was remains, economic instability, the world recognized what black and brown communities have been pointing out for years continued to happen and needed to be addressed. And then it's also having a president that um, is is going in the opposite direction and sending messages to all of us and students. And we talked about this as a staff, you know, you don't matter. <laughs> and then um, pushing back against that. It was all of those things that we needed to address. And one thing that I really appreciated at that time was that you said we are, as an organization, anti-white supremacist, which was put so bluntly forward in a way that most people don't. So it was great to hear that because it's something that we needed to hear and that our students needed to hear and that the world and America in general needed to um, feel. And we need to keep doing the work. I mean, in no way is Brooklyn Boatworks done or me as an individual <laughs> done with this uh, work. It's uh, ongoing in order to be able to do our jobs and be good people in the world. Thank you so much, Laura and Marjorie, for keeping it a priority to serve students and for taking a chance on this podcast. I'm Rosa. We'll see you next time.